Welcome to Lamb of God Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's episode. As we were praying this week, I really felt strongly that the Lord wanted to heal someone this morning. Maybe someone that was uh, chronically sick. Uh, someone who's struggling with a uh, uh, illness that didn't seem to want to go away. And I know that a pretty broad uh, range of folks who are in our uh, room today we're in our congregation this morning and attend regularly, but I just felt that there was an anointing for a healing. And so if you are sick in any way this morning, I want to pray for you. And um, uh, I just sense that the Lord wants to heal someone who would like to be prayed for. Come on up. Just come on up and I will pray for you. We're in Matthew chapter 3 today. I don't know if you've Notice, except for when Gail's here, I've preached uh, from Matthew. This is the year of Matthew in the lectionary, and I've just decided this year I'm just going to preach right through Matthew and see what God brings and what he does. And um, <laughs> so we're in Matthew. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's encouraging to every pastor. Uh, Matthew three thirteen to 17 is the whole section. This is in the church calendar. This is marked as a special day to commemorate the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. I wanted to touch on a couple of themes in here because what happens to him seems so unique that it doesn't seem as relevant to us as... Uh, uh, it, it seems so unique to him as Messiah that it doesn't seem relevant to us as believers. But there's much here that, that we can take away and learn from and also be encouraged by because what happens to him, because we're in him, often happens to us. Um, this week I was listening to a, a recording uh, that was done back in April uh, at a conference, a church growth conference that was done over in Highlands over in, back in April. The name of the seminar was called When Signs and Wonders Change Your Church Plans. And the uh, gentleman who was given the seminar, it was a last-minute add to their conference. It was a church planting conference called ARC. It's kind of ironic. I've been the last, except for last year, I've been three years in a row, and last year it just didn't work out. But they added this little seminar at the last minute, so it was a small room, but it was very crowded, and folks wanted to hear what was going on in this church. Uh, the church, the pastor is Greg Surratt, a pastor Seacoast uh, church in uh, Charleston, South Carolina. He and Chris Hodges started the art church movement in the church planning organization. So if you were to attend their church or look at their website, see almost an identical style, Highlands type style. But what was unusual is that the pastor's daughter uh, came, was um, diagnosed with severe and uh, troubling uh, breast cancer. And the, the father is now called the founding pastor, and the son, Josh, is now considered the lead pastor. And so they both, both came concerned for her. We're praying, and uh, if you're familiar with the Highlands model, they have the first Wednesday of every month is their teaching month, their uh, sort of a, a, a service that's a little more open, a little more in-depth teaching than the normal services on Sunday, which are very structured. And so they decided to have, on the first Sunday uh, I guess it was a year ago, January, two years ago this month, to have a healing service. And they're both out of Assembly of God backgrounds. They saw a lot of abuse with healing, and they've both been a little, they both were cautious about it and not trying to hype it or make promises. But he did say, I do think God wants to do a miracle. There was a young man in their lives that had been praying for people and seeing people healed, and they asked him to come and lead that service. 
Little did they know, he got there, that he had never led a service like that before. He was not an ordained pastor or a traveling evangelist. He was just someone that they knew in the community who had been praying for people and seeing people healed. Well, as people began to be prayed for um, that night, one after another began to be healed. And in fact, they would only pray 30 seconds to a minute per person. There were so many people. And as there were so many people being healed, more and more people heard about it and began to come in because it was on, you know, they uh, put their services online. And so the service ended up going till 1.30 in the morning. He got home at 3 in the morning, absolutely confounded by what God had been doing. And they've uh, the reports that they're getting they were getting was uh, like there was a lady with really bad cancer there pervaded her body. Um, she was prayed for, since the power of the Holy Spirit moved through her body, but it was hard for her to believe that she was healed. Had gone to the went to the doctor the next day. The doctor did a preliminary scan, just did something they routinely do with the cancer treatments, and the doctor said, "I don't see the cells." And she said, uh, well, let's just go, no faith at all. Let's just continue the chemotherapy treatments I don't want to get out of sequence. So she has the chemotherapy treatment and it gets, and so after that treatment, it was time for her to have the full PET scan. You know this routine. And she has the full PET scan and they can find nothing. They put it up on the screen and show her comparisons. And the doctor looks at us and says, this is a miracle. So they, they weren't sure what to do or how to handle it because, you know, if you're familiar with this style of church, it's very structured. So they decided, we'll just wait till the next month and we'll have the first. So this had been February. We'll have our next healing service the next first Wednesday of the next month. So they have the next Wednesday of the next month. And so many people come that they can't get in the building. It seats their current building. at Their building at the time sits 2,500. They could not get everybody in the building. So people were sitting in their cars in the parking lot, watching the service on their phone, waiting for people who had been prayed for to leave so that they could come in. And it was 1.30 in the morning again that they had prayed for people to be healed. And... Uh, and so it was getting so crowded, and their church was near a shopping center. It was causing problems with the parking and so forth, and they were due to move into a new building that said 5,000. So they postponed it a couple months to get moved into the new building, and they did it again, and God moved in power, and people were healed, and it's continuing this move of God. It's about two years old. And it's interesting listening to them. They're not praying extended uh, times of prayer. Uh, they're just praying. Has most people get, gotten healed? No, but a, a large part of people have gotten healed, and many of the people are being healed, and they're being doctor verified. And uh, many of the people will be prayed for once and don't see nothing to happen during the service, but then later they will realize later in the week that they are healed. And so he's given out his phone number for people to text him when they find out verifiably that they're healed. And so their approach to this is just is very simple. It's interesting. It's very laid back. They were teasing on the in the seminar. They were saying that, um, you know, sometimes they call a revival the Great Awakening or they'll call a revival, you know, fresh fire for the Toronto revival. He joked and said they're going to call this revival the most laid back revival ever. You know, there's not the hype. There's not a lot of the following out, falling out that you see in some of the Pentecostal charismatic things on television. It's just simply people praying for people and people's lives being touched. 
You know, something gets out of control, maybe a, a demonic manifestation, they move them to the side, they'll allow the enemy to distract what's going on and doing. The ironic thing is, this is what we need to pray and continue to pray, is that the person this was started for, his daughter and Josh's sister, has not been healed yet. Uh, a lot of the people who've been healed have been non-Christians. A lot of the people who've been healed have been fringe church people who just kind of show up at church every now and then, what we call fringe church people. And so there's still more that they're praying for God to do, you know. And as I uh, pray and sense, uh, I sense the Lord wants to do a similar thing with us and that he wants to freshly outpour his Holy Spirit on us, give us a fresh confidence. I know I've been in third, pastoring for 30 years, over 30 years, almost really 40 years. And I've seen disappointments. I've prayed for people and they not be healed. My heart is broken. But I, don't, I believe that the Lord does heal today. I do believe that uh, uh, he, we don't have to have a, uh, we, we sometimes in our minds, it's an either or, like do medicine or be healed supernaturally. It's natural versus supernatural in our minds. And I don't think that's the biblical concept at all. Not when Luke, the physician, is writing a gospel for us. I think that what the Lord uses both, they're not meant to, one's not meant to push out the other. And so I think the Lord will bring, can bring healing through medication, through surgery. He also can do it through surgery. I also can do a mixture of maybe surgery and supernatural healing. Also, though, I'm confident that if I'm not healed in this life and I do suffer pain to the time I die, and I do struggle with certain sicknesses, as you do, that my ultimate healing rests in the resurrection of the dead and the second coming of Christ. And I'll have a whole eternity to live in a glorified body that never will experience sickness or pain again. So I'm confident that there is an ultimate healing and that is the new creation and that's God's ultimate intention. But between now and then, though, the kingdom is breaking in. God is breaking forth. The Holy Spirit is moving. He's advancing his kingdom and the way he's doing that is bringing freedom from the oppression of the devil. And one of the things he oppressed, the enemy oppresses us with is sicknesses and uh, demonic presences. And so he wants to release people to be free, free in the gospel, their hearts to be changed and transformed with a living relationship with God, their, their bodies healed, their emotions restored, uh, their freedom from demonic oppression. I believe this is a work that the Lord wants to do. This is something I really sense. Um, between now and Ash Wednesday, it's called, sometimes in some churches it's called ordinary time. Some churches are beginning to call it Epiphany Tide or an Epiphany Season. And if you look at our prayer book and the way the, the prefaces and the prayers are done and the, and the readings, it's almost like it's a fresh season. So this is what I want us to pray about. This is what I want our goal. And a lot of churches uh, that are not liturgical are praying, you know, 21 days of prayer. So let's make Epiphany a special season of prayer that the Lord will break through in the season of Lent and give us victory and freedom in Jesus. Okay, so Ash Wednesday, I believe, is the first in the first week in February, second week in February. Uh, my mind, it's it's just, this is going to be a short, uh, kind of a short season this year, and so I think if Ash Wednesday's before my birthday, I think it means it means it's short, and I think it's before my birthday this year. So it's not a long season. So I'd ask that as Noah was asking last week about praying with the twenty-one days, let's make sure we're, we're praying along that line. I probably won't have a prayer every day like we did. Uh, I might. We'll see what God does. But we'll have some prayers or things, reminders, email reminders, text reminders, and group me and things like that. And let's pray and sincerely ask, Lord, come. 
Come and refresh us and empower us in your love. Take the dullness, my spirit, out. You know, we can, this Christmas took a lot out of me. It was one of the hardest I've ever experienced. Yet Tuesday, by the grace of God, uh, I had three hours with the Lord uninterrupted for the first time in months. And the Lord used that time just to refresh my spirit and give me a, um, uh, a, a new love and a new desire to know him more and experience him more and a new hope that I can be more intimate with Jesus than I've ever been, you know. And it's easy to get burned out about prayer because you feel like you pray for the same thing and nothing changes. And sometimes it's easy to get burned out about healing because you feel like nobody's getting healed. But there's seasons that God gains where he puts a hunger in our heart, where we seek his face. And as we do, these things, these healings come, these prayers get answered, people's lives get changed. So during Epiphany, we're going to call this the season of Epiphany. And we're going to call this, Epiphany means revelation or breakthrough. Uh, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ is what it means. And uh, so we're going to take during the season, let's have a revelation of Jesus Christ, a revelation of healing, restoration, and uh, salvation. So if during the week you sense that God's doing, did something unique, something special, maybe healed you or touched you as you shared the gospel with someone, please let me know. Please communicate that with me. Please, during our ministry times, communicate that with us so we can see what God is doing. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter uh, 3, because this is where it kind of all starts. One of the things we would need to recognize is that Jesus did did not begin his ministry, his full-fledged ministry, until he was empowered with the Holy Spirit in his humanity at his baptism. That does not mean he didn't have the Holy Spirit. He's the second person of the Trinity, so obviously as the third person of the Trinity um, there with him. And so you got Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But in his humanity, as he's beginning his ministry, he doesn't start his ministry until he's filled with the Holy Spirit. So one of the first things we are reminded of before we even start this gospel lesson is that we're reminded for us to have an impact in the lives of people and for our words to have power to change hearts and lives. We need to be freshly filled with the Holy Spirit. And we need his power operating in and through us. So let's look at the text real quick. Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. And thus it is fitting for us to fulfill our righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he came up out of the water. And behold, the heavens opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So this is the day we commemorate this uh, in the life of Christ. There are theologians and people who wish this was not put in the Bible, because it causes a theological problem. Why would a sinless Christ want to be baptized for, uh, uh, for the repentance of sin? Okay? Why would a sinless Christ? Is the, that's the question, the theological question that's hanging over this text. That if you're a writer trying to avoid controversy, you wouldn't even put the text in the Bible. Okay. Why would a sinless Christ be baptized by a man and the baptism is for sin, repentance of sin? Uh, we know this, why? because just earlier in their chapter, the chapter tells us that that's what John is doing. He's baptizing for the re- repentance of sin. Okay, So 
Jesus comes from Galilee to Jordan. It's hard to explain when you look at it in English, but there's a forcefulness to this. Went into, and then also in chapter 3, verse 1, went into. So the way that the wording is in the Greek is to make you see that it's a deliberate action. Jesus is making uh, a deliberate action. I'm starting my ministry now. Okay, So that's the first thing. Jesus, verse 13, Jesus takes the initiative in starting his ministry. So what's the initiative to do? To start healing immediately, start uh, preaching immediately? No, it's to be baptized immediately. Okay, John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Did you come to me? Uh Uh-oh. So John opposes... John opposes emphatically. Okay? The second half, in verse 14, John opposes emphatically. He says, I, in the Greek it's emphasized twice, I, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? The word prevented is also used in a particular Greek tense to show he kept doing it's imperfect in other words he kept saying over this is not something i should be doing so even john recognizes here's a sinless man standing before me he doesn't need a baptism for a baptism for sinners the text doesn't tell us how john knows this obviously there were cousins in law you know mary and elizabeth maybe they played together as children maybe he uh saw him before this baptism and saw his ministry. But we know from John's reaction that he knows that Jesus is sinless and there's no need for this. And that Jesus recognizes, I mean, John recognizes in his own humility that he has flaws and deep struggles. So John the Baptist knows that it's not Jesus who needs it. It's him who needs it. Verse 14, I need to be baptized by you do you come to me? Okay. So this is even in the text is giving us the, John the Baptist is picking up on the dilemma. Why would again? Why would a sinless Jesus want to be baptized for sin, the repentance of sin? And John recognizes this and is real emphatic. It's uh, again, it's he he's saying. John would have prevented him. In other words, the Greek tense for prevented is over and over again. He keeps preventing him. And then he says, I, I'm the one who needs the baptism. I'm the sinner, and I need to be baptized by you. You're the one that's holy and sinless and beautiful and pure in all that you do. But, verse 15, Jesus answered, let it be so for now. Let us do this thing. This is what needs to be done. And it's a phrase that's kind of a quirky phrase, an idiomatic phrase that people have struggled with a little bit or knowing what to mean, what it means. But he says, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, there's something I've got to do, and I need to do it, and this is why I'm doing this. Okay, so what's the phrase to fulfill all righteousness mean? Okay, so first of all, let me back up just a little bit. Let it be so for now. The idea is, I need to do something important. I need to do God's will. Okay, so that phrasing has the implication of divine necessity. Okay, 
So if I'm, I'm following the Father, I'm obeying Him, I'm on a mission for Him, there's something I need to do, I need to do it now. Okay. Now, the word is, uh, the next word is fulfill. It's used a lot in Matthew. Okay. Normally it would mean the Jacksons that Jesus is taking is fulfilling Old Testament promises, predictions, and prophecies. Okay. So Matthew uses this term a lot in this gospel. We'll see it again. Jesus is saying, normally uh, to fulfill means to fulfill all the Old Testament prophecies, promises, okay, and pictures and pointing to Christ. To fulfill everything that the Old Testament was pointing to. I think that's one meaning. There's also a second meaning. To fulfill also means to uh, obey or to complete God's purposes and to obey God's will and to bring about the, the um, bring about all the predictions and prophecies of the Old Testament. And personally, on a personal level, it also means I personally need to fulfill what God has given me to do. So there's a big, big fulfill. I'm fulfilling the Old Testament. And there's a little fulfill in the sense that I'm obeying my Father. Okay? And I'm doing this to fulfill all righteousness. Righteousness here means the person. It's a person. Righteousness here means the whole person and that that their their behavior will accord with God's will and purposes. So in other words, I'm here to do this because it's the right thing to do it would be pleasing to the Lord and it will fulfill His purposes for me. I am doing this to obey the Lord. Okay? And so what is He doing? He's identifying Himself with you and me. If you and I need baptism for repentance of sin, then, and He's going to be our substitute and take our place and suffer our just judgment, then He's going to fulfill the Old Testament promises and He's going to... Uh, be righteous before the Lord and obey His will and uh, stand in His in our place and be our substitute. So He, in essence, the purpose, the fulfillment that He's bringing and doing the right thing is that He's identifying with us. Okay. So let me repeat that again. He's, the, he's fulfilling the Old Testament promise that there needs to be a Savior and the Savior needs to identify with sinners, and these sinners need someone who will take their place and suffer their judgment, so that they and have a sacrifice for their sin. And so He's fulfilling the Old Testament promise, and therefore He's acting in righteousness, obeying the Father's will. Okay, so I've come to fulfill the Old Testament, and I've come to do it by obeying the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. I'm obeying the Lord. So John sees this, hears this word from Jesus, and he baptizes him in the river Jordan. The word baptized means to be immersed into water. And immediately he went up from the water, so the action was quite fast. He went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open. Okay? Now, this is a loaded term, a big term that's used over and over again in the Old Testament to say that this large inbreaking of God has occurred. We call it in theology an apocalyptic moment. 
The word apocalypse is the word we use for revel in the book of Revelation. It's the book of the apocalypse. We often use it. There's games. I see games and movies. You know, this is an apocalyptic movie. Now, the true meaning of the word means a revelation of God, and he's in breaking. He's breaking into humanity. It's heaven is making itself known in the actions of earth. So he's there's an inbreaking of heaven, and the heavens are open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. It's interesting to me, the way this is written, we think, most scholars think, that the people who are around the River Jordan, the people who are also were in line, they would have been in line to be baptized next. There have been people standing on the shore watching. There have been people listening to John. They probably saw this and heard it too. So how you see the heavens open, I'm not sure. It's been a shocking and overwhelming event of the inbreaking of heaven. And as that inbreaking comes, a the spirit, like a dove, comes upon him. And it gives several several meanings to this in the Old Testament. And the spirit hovers over the creation in Genesis one two. Almost like a dove would hover over land. The Spirit hovers over creation to bring about uh, organization and bring about the the six days of creation, and He hovers. Also, the the dove is the dove that came back after Noah's flood and let them know that the waters had receded. So the idea of the Holy Spirit coming, almost like physical form and hovering over Him, it's a sign that tells the people who know their Old Testament, new creation has begun. A new world has begun. There's a new restoration has begun. The sinful, fallen world is now in the process of being healed and restored. So they would have made the connections between Genesis 1. They would have made the connections with Noah. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit, is hovering over him like a dove. He's not a dove. I know we see all these paintings but it's like a dove, not is a dove. So he's hovering, Holy Spirit's hovering over him. And when people see that kind of action in words, they would immediately think of the Genesis creation account. And what this means is, oh, creation has fallen. Oh, creation's in sin. Oh, creation is, is uh, scarred and marred by sin and Satan's work and people's lives being hurt and destroyed and murder and lies. And that, but now there's new creation. Jesus is inaugurating a new world where there'll be healing and restoration, wholeness and love. There'll be intimacy with God. And people would have saw that, visually seen this action, and know there's a new world upon us. As the Spirit comes upon him, descends on a dove and comes to rest on him. So the work of the Holy Spirit is resting on him. Uh, John 3.36, if my memory serves correct, is, says that Jesus was given the Spirit without limit. In his, in his humanities, he's empowered with God on high. And he's relying on the Spirit to empower him to do the healing, to bring about the miracles, to see people's lives released and restored. I enjoy good Jesus movies. I enjoy the whole Jesus of Nazareth with the 70s quirkiness. And the newer ones, the laughing Jesus, and things like that. But the one thing they can't depict is they can't depict the anointing he must have walked under. You know, 
Here's an old story of Charles Finney, the evangelist from the early 19th century, very anointed uh, evangelist who spoke throughout New York and uh, especially upstate New York. And there's a famous story of him ministering in Rochester, New York. And he goes to visit the owner of the factory just as a pastoral visit. Encouragement, the factory owner had been supporting the revival. Uh, he had been in this church in Rochester for weeks. As he walks through the factory, everyone stops and looks. People start passing out under the Holy Spirit and being their lives being changed, and he never says a word because the anointing of the Holy Spirit from the revival so powerfully upon him. is repeated. I've read this in so many different places. It seems to be factual. And so it's... Uh, Gail kind of made a reference to it, but I don't think she quite got the um, uh, person right last week when she was talking, but the person was Charles Finney. And imagine, though, if that's true of an evangelist who's doing some touring of upstate New York and preaching and seeing people's lives change and come to healing, uh, restoration and, and salvation in Christ, how much more so is Jesus anointed in the fullness of the Holy Spirit as he's hovering over him and anointing him with the Holy Spirit without limit? That just disturbs me. And it's because of what Christ has done for us in the cross that we can experience the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so there's, I think we settle for less. I think there's more anointing, more power, more intimacy. We get bogged down in the routine of our lives and we begin, our faith begins to wither a bit because we're constantly feeling under attack, constantly weighed down by circumstances and trials and disappointments that I think we forget sometimes just the incredible intimacy that we can have in the Lord and incredible power and experience we can have in Him. And because of Jesus' baptism, we can experience it too. We're in Christ according to Romans 6. When we give our hearts to Him, we're baptized by water and the Holy Spirit. When we're uh, transformed by Him, 1 Corinthians 12 says we're baptized in His body by the Spirit. The much deeper experience on a daily basis we can have of the Holy Spirit than I think we, in our troubles and our struggles, we realize that we can have. So the heavens open, the Spirit comes, it descends like a dove, He rests on Him, and a voice declares. What would this voice say? What would be so important that must be said? And it's Psalm 2-7 and Isaiah 42-1. The Lord quotes his own words. And he quotes when he says, This is my beloved son. He's quoting Psalm 2-7. In Psalm 2-7, the son is set aside and coronated as king. And what... This is my son, does have Trinitarian connotations. He's the second person of the Trinity. But he's also saying, this is the Davidic king. I've set him aside. He's fulfilling all the messianic uh, promises, and he's going to bring restoration to Israel and restoration to the world. He's basically Israel embodied. But everything where Israel failed, Jesus will make right and bring restoration. This is my son. So he is the king. And then the Lord says, the Father says, with whom I'm well pleased is a direct quote from Isaiah 42.1, which we read today in the Old Testament reading. And it's a reference to the surfing servant passage in Isaiah, where there will be a servant who will take upon the sins of the world. In fact, let me just, uh, let's flip there for a second. If you've got your Bible or, or your uh, app, 
Isaiah 42, 1 says, Behold my servant in whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I've put my spirit upon him to bring justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he establishes justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. It's repeated in the second half of Isaiah that's called Five Servant Songs. The five songs of the servant and how he will come and take away our sin and uh, and bear that upon himself. Turn uh, if you got your app there or Bible fifty three eleven. It's talking about the famous servant servant passage in fifty three. Out of the anguish of his soul, we, he he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous win my servant. Make many to be accounted righteous. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion for the many, and he will divide the spoil for the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. So in other words, this servant will take our place and bear our sin and suffer our just judgment. So in other words, the Lord, is, the Father is saying to Jesus, you're my king. And you're, Davidic, you're fulfilling all the Davidic promises to make all things right. But you're also my suffering servant. You're also the one who's going to take upon the sins of the world, the Lamb of God. And he's going to bear all our sin. And if we look to him in faith, we'll find forgiveness. So in Jesus is our Messiah. And he is our son of God. And he is our suffering servant. And he is anointed in power to make all things right and bring about a new creation. So what do we take away from this? One, we find that we're if he was if he who is worthy identified with us as a sinner, how much more unworthy are we? And we need to recognize our own sin. Two, we need to recognize that we're in Christ in Romans six and all the benefits of Christ are ours. Three, we recognize that the Trinity is acting on our behalf. The Father spoke his approval of the Son. The Son received the baptism, and he, the Holy Spirit came upon him. One of the great Trinitarian texts in all the Bible. So the Trinity is acting on our behalf. Four, another takeaway is baptism important. Whether you were baptized as a child or as a believing adult, either way, baptism is important because it identifies us with Christ. Five, Jesus is sufficient for our salvation because he's the servant king. Because he is the suffering servant, the Son of God, and the Messiah, he's sufficient to take care of everything we need. There's nothing more we need to be saved. We, then again we see, seventh, that we need to be spirit-empowered. If, if Christ in his humanity did all his ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, how much more so that we need to be anointed and walking in intimacy with the Holy Spirit. And then eighth, as I already mentioned, we're in Christ in Romans 8. And all the benefits of Christ are ours. So everything that he accomplished, we accomplished in him. And so when he died, he died for our sin. And so our sin died with him. When he was buried, our sin was put away. When he rose again, our sin was, uh, we were given victory over our sin. And, and death and the accusation of the enemy is defeated. So everything that happened for him in his baptism has happened for us. And we can benefit from it. So real quickly, let's make a connection that the apostles made. In Acts chapter 2, I mean 10, I'm sorry, Peter is preaching. And he says, he begins to speak of the Jesus ministry. And he um, 
Let's just skip down to verse 36. As for the word that he sent to Israel, this is Jesus. He's preaching good news. This is Acts 10, 36. He's preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. So you yourself know how important his baptism is. How God, this is the key verse, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. So Peter is using this incident in the life of Jesus to point to remind them that he's anointed, he has power. What did he do? What did he do with this power? He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. So the anointing gave him the power to see people healed and restored and released from the enemy. And verse 39, and we were witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him on the third day. So this, and this baptism is essential in the life and the meaning of Jesus. It's essential in the life and our meaning and of our lives. If he was anointed in power and he saw healing, we too experience his baptism. We're united in him. We can receive the Holy Spirit and we can walk in power to see people's lives transformed. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you that the heavens were split. And this important event happened. And that Jesus came to fulfill the Old Testament by obeying you and doing the right thing, by identifying himself with us as the servant, suffering servant and as the Davidic Messiah. So, Lord, today we pray that we would, um, we, Lord, would desire the benefits of the baptism. And, Lord, we would seek your anointing and power that, Lord, you could operate through us to see new creations New create acts of new creation, lives changed, people healed, people set free. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Hope to see you next time.